we're looking at Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. So yeah, Philippians 4, 1 to 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Well, welcome everyone. Uh, it's great to have you with us here uh, tonight. Tonight? Yeah, six o'clock is night. That's right. Uh, well, it's great to have you with us here tonight. Before we get into it, I just thought I'd give you guys a little bit of an exciting update. Greg mentioned a week ago that we were continuing negotiations about a promising site where, yeah, we're, we're looking at uh, buying a building as a church. And a bit more news from the building committee is that those negotiations have moved forward. That's exciting. <laughs> it's progress, all right. Uh, and they're actually hoping, we're actually hoping to have some exciting news to, to share with you guys soon. So please keep praying for that. Uh, and yeah, hopefully um, you won't be in the dark too much longer on that one. So please keep praying for that. Um, negotiations are continuing. Exciting times. All right. Uh, now I'm going to say something that might be a little bit controversial. And that is, I don't understand long-distance running. I really don't understand it. And I know many people in our church family love it. I know there's a whole bunch of uni churches who are part of the Triple R Run Club or whatever that ridiculous committee is. But I'm happy. I'm happy for you guys to love it, but I just don't get it. Uh, why would anyone put themselves through that kind of pain and agony? hour after hour, day after day, pounding the pavement over and over again on this hard and tiring journey to nowhere. I was wondering, have these people actually heard of Netflix before? Like, it is good, you should get around that. Why would you choose a hobby that just seems so hard, a passion that is so difficult? But if I'm being honest, you could actually ask me the same question. Because when I think about what it means to be a Christian, the first word that springs to mind most of all is the word hard. Christianity is hard work, isn't it? It requires sacrifice and perseverance, discipline, self-control, self-denial, suffering, submission to Jesus. In fact, that's how Jesus himself describes it, isn't it? In Mark chapter 8, in Mark's gospel, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. 
As I think about the Christian life day to day, that's the dominant picture of what I think it'll be like. The road that Jesus calls us to walk on as his followers is costly and challenging and hard. And to be honest, that sounds to me like it's going to be miserable. Don't you think? It's just going to be absolutely miserable. That's the picture I'm tempted to build in my mind as I think about what it looks like to live as a Christian day by day here and now. Is that how you think about the Christian walk? I think it's definitely how our world thinks about it. Why would I, why would I ever want to be a Christian? That's the question our friends and our family and our, our, our uni mates who, who don't know Jesus, that's the question they ask. And why would I ever want to be a Christian? Why would I ever want to deny myself and follow Jesus? Why would I willingly choose to be miserable? And it's why passages like the one that we just read can be a little bit tricky for us, can't they? To try and wrap our heads around. Because the picture of the Christian life that's painted for us in Philippians 4 is one of overwhelming joy. Just look there again in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, at what Paul says the Christian life is to be like. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. You know, this is not a, a one-off thing, right? This is something we see all throughout the Bible. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, Rejoice always. Galatians 5 says, The fruit of the Spirit is joy. In fact, just before Jesus is crucified, in John chapter 17, he prays to his Father and he asks that his disciples would have the full measure of his joy within them. The thing that God desires for those who would follow after him is not misery, it's joy. God wants his people to be joyful. God's hope, God's prayer for you and for me and for us, if you call yourself a Christian, is that you might live a life of overwhelming joy. You know, we see this in all kinds of ways throughout the Bible. But one of the ways we see it is that is in the idea that God loves to give us good gifts. God loves to give us good gifts because he actually wants you to enjoy them. Now, that's not often how we think about God, is it? More often, when we think about God, we think about him as tight-fisted, like he's a little bit stingy, he's a bit of a killjoy. And that's the lie that Satan peddles, it's what our world believes, and it's what we're tempted to buy into as Christians too, isn't it? That God is withholding good things from me. But that picture of God could not be more wrong. It could not be more out of step with who the God of the Bible actually is. The God of the Bible is not stingy or tight-fisted. The God of the Bible is generous. And if you ever need a proof of that, all you have to do is look at Jesus, right? Because in Him, God has given us every spiritual blessing. In Jesus, we have the blessing of salvation, forgiveness for sins, relationship with God, the hope of eternity with Him, of heaven, right? And we looked at, we looked at this last week uh, in last week's talk, but, but God's generosity is on display all around us too, isn't it? Every day in the gift of this creation, in the gift of life itself. 
So in Psalm 104, the psalmist says, He, God, makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the human heart, oil to make their face shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. Or the author of Ecclesiastes, he says, A person can do nothing better than to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? In Acts chapter 14, Luke says, In the past, God let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and he fills your hearts with joy. This world, this creation, it is full of wonderfully good things that God has given you to enjoy. Things like food, like drink, like hot chocolate and coffee, right? Like your job. You're supposed to enjoy that, right? Like sport and exercise, knitting, video games, reading a good book, relationships, friendships, marriage, the birth of a child, the kind of laughter. You know that deep laughter you have when you start to cry? That is a gift from God. The sunrise, the feeling of the sun's warmth on your back, right? The smell of the rain. The smell of freshly cut grass. These are a part of God's wonderfully majestic design. And he generously gives them to us for our enjoyment. He delights in giving them to us for our joy. Should I try unplugging this and back in? We're getting a bit of static if you can. How's that? Hey, happy days. You know, one of the ways to think about this is actually to think about the idea of a mother or a father and how they feel when on Christmas morning they see the joy on their child's face. When they open up that present, that gift that they've been waiting for, that's, that's actually how God feels when he sees us enjoying his good gifts. And of course, this will raise a massive question for us. Of course it does. How do we reconcile this idea that God loves to give good gifts for us to enjoy? How do we reconcile that idea with those times when God seems to be withholding good things from me? And what about those parts of my life where we experience great grief and pain? The kind of pain that you live with every day, right? What about the fact you just you can't deny that there's something about life that is frustrating, isn't there? You know, those are such important questions, such big questions that it's actually worth us spending a whole week on it, which we're going to do next week as we think about how the two ideas of joy and suffering relate together. But I reckon one of the reasons we struggle to feel joyful as Christians is just that we forget how generous God is. We forget that He actually loves to give us good gifts, wonderful things, and he wants us to enjoy them. He enjoys when we enjoy them. And for me, part of this, part of the reason I struggle with this is I've grown up with this great sense of entitlement. That's the spirit of our age, isn't it? To think we are owed good things. 
that we deserve them because of our hard work or because we're good people. But God does not owe us anything. It's in his kindness. It's from his generosity that the good things we experience in this life flow. And so if we want to live a life of joy, I think we need to work hard at replacing our sense of entitlement with the habit of gratitude. As I've been preparing the talk this week, one of the things that has really struck me, I've looked at all these passages on on joy, and one of the things that struck me time and time again is how much you will find the idea of joy right alongside the idea of gratitude, right right alongside the idea of thanksgiving and appreciation. They're always together in the Bible. And when you stop and think about that, of course, that makes total sense. Of course, when we recognize that the things we enjoy come from the hand of our generous and good God, of course, the response that makes the most sense then is gratitude, thanksgiving, appreciating God for the things he's given us. When you enjoy something, why not try and make a habit of taking just a moment to stop and thank God for it? When you're out catching a wave, why not take a moment to just stop and thank God for it? When you're drinking a good coffee, why not stop and thank God for it? Or when someone shares good news with you, whether it's a huge life event or, or something small, why don't you make a habit of stopping and together thanking God for it? We do this all the time, right? When something goes wrong in, in someone's life, when someone's going through a hard time, we stop and we pray with them and we bring it to God and we ask for his help and comfort in this. But why, why not do that with the good things in life too? When, when things are going well, why don't we stop and thank God for it? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Because those things in life are a gift from God's hand and he wants you to enjoy them. And yet, of course, there's, there's a really big risk for us here, isn't there? There's a danger, there's a trap that we might fall into when it comes to enjoying the good gifts of God. And it's actually the risk that will miss the best gift of all. And that's the gift of God himself. You see, as wonderful as God's good gifts are, and they are wonderful, the greatest joy is found in knowing and delighting in God himself. Our God, do you know that he enjoys, he delights when you enjoy him? That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? This wonderful picture of mutual joy where, where we enjoy God and he enjoys that as well. And that's why did you notice as we read Philippians 4 earlier, Paul says, he actually says here, rejoice in the Lord. He says, rejoice in God. What God desires more than us enjoying his good gifts is that we'd find our ultimate joy in knowing him, in learning to delight in who he is and, and in what he's like, in his goodness, in his character, in the richness and the majesty of his will and his plan. Because the thing about God is he actually is delightful. There is no one as good as God. No one's ways are like our God's, are they? That's why in places like Psalm 16, David can say things like, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Or in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, God. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? That's why Paul can say in places like Philippians chapter 3, I consider everything a loss. Everything is a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It's why, you know, the greatest part of the new creation, of heaven, will actually be that we get to be with God face to face. We get to spend eternity enjoying our God forever. That'll be the most wonderful bit about heaven because the greatest joy is found in knowing and being with God. I was trying to think of a a picture that illustrates this a bit, but it's kind of hard because there's no really perfect image for this. But one area where I think you kind of get a sense of this is, is in marriage. Now, no marriage is perfect, right? So, of course, it's going to be flawed as an illustration. But, but what is the best part about marriage? It's not what your spouse does for you. It's not what Katie does for me, right? That, that's wonderful. I love that. But the best part of marriage is Katie herself. It's getting to know what she likes. Her quirks, her, per- her peculiarities, right? Her personality, the things that she enjoys and the things which make her tick, her character, that's the best part of marriage. Now, if that is true of another person who is flawed, how much more should that be true of God? The deepest joy comes not when we pursue God's gifts, but actually when we wholeheartedly choose to pursue Him. When we press into Him. When our desire is to know him, what he's like, what his will and his plan is. When we want to know what he loves and why he loves that and what it is that brings him joy. And I think evangelical circles, like churches like ours, this is strange for us, isn't it? It's a a weird idea for us because we often view our faith as an intellectual exercise, as an ascent to a certain set of truths about God or merely as a lens through which we can view the world and make sense of the world around us. And I, I think we can wrestle with this idea because as, as Christians, we think about Jesus as the guy who only lived and died 2,000 years ago. That's the only way we think about him. And we forget that right now, Jesus is alive. That he is here, that he is with us, that we, we are joined to him. That his spirit dwells in us. See, the Christian life is, is more than adopting a worldview, isn't it? It's more than believing certain truths about God. It's a real and active relationship with the risen and the living King. It's a day-by-day walk with Jesus in which he invites us to come and to take pleasure in knowing and enjoying him. I think one area which would really help us as a church to to try and live this out, right, to come and to know and to enjoy God more deeply is by recapturing the the lost art of Christian meditation. Meditation on God, it's not something that we often talk about. In fact, it sounds a little bit weird, doesn't it? Sounds a little bit like you'll be sitting there with your legs folded and your fingers in the air like this, right? But, but Christian meditation throughout history has been a key aspect of people who have walked with Jesus. And Christian meditation, it, it's, it's where we take the time to pause, to stop, and to really reflect on God and His Word, to, to consider it, to really consider it and chew it over in our minds. 
It's where we think deeply into spiritual truths and realities about God that he reveals to us in his word. And we apply them within our hearts and uh, they flow into our prayers. It's a little bit like how a cow digests their food. Work with me here. In a cow's stomach, there are four different parts. And as they eat their food, it actually goes through each section one by one, being turned over time and time again and broken down and pulled apart and then absorbed, right? And we need to be a little bit more like cows, at least when it comes to God and his word. We need to take the time to stop and to turn it over in our hearts and our minds. We need to take the time to chew on him. And of course, as we do that, Our joy will need to find expression too, won't it? In prayers of adoration, in songs of joyful praise. Can you wait for that time we can sing again? In fact, this expression is really key because it's in our expression of our joy that the, the, the circle of joy goes complete, that it becomes full circle again as we turn the joy God has given us back to him in praise and he gets to enjoy that. And this actually really helps us understand a passage like Mark chapter 8, doesn't it? Because, well, it helps us to see that obedience to Jesus and joy in him are not two separate ideas. When, when we enjoy God, when we're so captivated by him and in love with him, when God himself is your delight, self-denial for his sake, What a privilege. Sacrifice for our God. What a joy. Discipline, self-control for the sake of my God. What an honour. Yeah, of course that'll be hard. Of course it'll be costly. Self-denial and sacrifice always is. But when you know God, when your joy is in Him, well, it becomes hard and wonderful. It becomes costly and our delight. And that kind of life, that kind of walk, right, that kind of obedience, that brings your heavenly Father great joy. Don't you think that is just the the, the craziest thought? That you can bring a smile to your heavenly Father's face. That's amazing, isn't it? That you can bring him joy. In fact, it really helps us when it comes to disobedience and the temptation to sin. In those moments when we're tempted to disobey God, knowing that our obedience in the face of that temptation will actually bring our Heavenly Father joy, man, that's such a powerful motivation, isn't it? That's a powerful encouragement to to resist sin, to flee from it, and to choose to honour Him. There's obedience to God. It will not rob you of joy. In fact, I can guarantee you the the one thing that will rob you of joy most in this life is disobedience. It's a life of sin. It's giving in to it. Now, obedience to God, denial of self, taking up your cross for the God that you love and the God that has first loved you. Well, when, when that flows from our enjoyment and delight in God and when it's motivated by 
the knowledge that it brings him joy, man, that's not a burden, is it? That is a joy. You know, we read a passage like Mark chapter 8 and we think that Jesus here is inviting us to come and be miserable. But Mark chapter 8 is an invitation from Jesus to come and to find joy. By letting go of yourself and by pressing into him. By choosing to find our joy in a life lived in pursuing him and obeying him. Now, the Christian walk, it is hard. It is costly. There's no denying that. It's frustrating at times. But it does not mean you need to be joyless. God does not want you to be miserable. God wants your life to be full of joy. That's why he gives you wonderful gifts. Because he wants you to enjoy them and, and to let that overflow into gratitude. It's why he has called you to come and know him, to pursue him and to enjoy him because that's the best gift of all. And it's why he has given us the privilege of getting to live for him. That it might be our joy to serve the God who we enjoy so much. And that life, that walk, that is not miserable. That is the walk of joy. Why don't we pray and ask God to help us in this? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of joy and that you are a God who loves to give generous gifts. Father, we thank you that we see this so clearly in Jesus, in whom we have every spiritual blessing. And we thank you too that we see it all around us every day in the gift of this creation, in the gift of life itself. Father, we know that things aren't always easy. We know that there are frustrations and, and hard things about this life as well, and yet your blessings to us are all around. Father, we pray that you would help us to be grateful, to overflow with thanksgiving, to make gratitude a habit. And thank you that as we do that, it actually brings you joy. And Father, we pray that you would help us to pursue the greatest gift of all, to pursue you, to want to know you. Father, we pray that you would help us to find our ultimate joy in you. And Father, we ask that as we do that, you would help us to see what a wonderful privilege, what a wonderful joy it is to obey you that it makes you glad, that it makes you happy, that it brings joy to your face. And we pray this would spur us on to keep living for you and that it would be our joy to lay down our lives for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.